Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. It's really weird to think that we're in week 10 of our Exodus series. Like, has that gone really fast, or is it just me? It's gone really fast. It's quite strange. Um, It's been quite an epic journey. You know, as we're heading through the book of Exodus, it's like, it's this journey of the Israelites out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And by the end of the book, we have this nation um, of people that have, uh, they have a leader, they have a relationship with God. They have shared history together as a nation. You know, it's, this, it's not just this journey from one place to another. It's this journey from infancy to maturity for the nation of Israel, isn't it? It's pretty spectacular. But as much as it's a, um, as much as it's a significant journey for the Israelites, I think it's actually been quite a significant journey for us as a community as well. Would you agree? Um, you know, I've had so many conversations um, during this series about people who have just been really quite specifically impacted by some of the talks. I know for me, um, Ty's talk last week, was re- it really hit home. You know, it's just something so... We, we kind of worked out in the car on the way home. We're like, it's not very often that a leader who's left a church will come back and speak. And that's actually really cool, isn't it? Um, it's just, it was really special. So I want to highly recommend, if you haven't been around for any of the weeks or if you've missed most of the series and you're just kind of jumping in at the end, um, jump on the podcast. It's on the website. It's on iTunes as well. And have a listen to some of the messages if you, if you need to catch up. Um, but I want to remind us uh, of the reason that we're doing this series. Ten weeks ago, Jen and I stood up the front and we uh, delivered our vision talk for 2019. We said, this is, this is what we're on about as a community this year. And the word, or, or the words, if you want to be pedantic, they kind of tie that whole vision together, the words that we really feel like God has spoken over our community for this year are the words spiritual maturity. They're going to come up any moment. There we go. I'm going to talk about that for a bit. Uh, spiritual maturity. Um, you know, if... And, and, oh, and, where, and where that comes from is in Exodus 13, there's this really profound passage where um, the Scriptures say, so the Israelites have just left Egypt and they, they're about to cross the Red Sea and they're kind of in this in-between uh, phase. And the Scripture says that God did not take them by the desert road, although that was shorter. Instead, He took them the long way to the Red Sea. And then we discover what happens at the Red Sea is quite remarkable. But you know, if God had have taken them by the desert road, if He had have gone the short way, it would, according to the Scriptures, it should only have taken 11 days for them to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. And yet, they go on this epic journey for 40 years, wandering around this small patch of desert. Why? Well, can you picture all they know is slavery? They've never gone to war. Can you imagine if 11 days after the formation of this nation, they crossed over the Jordan and had to go and fight um, nations that had been warring each other for years? It wouldn't end well for them, would it? 
You see, at, the, at that point, they're just a group of people. But like I said earlier, Exodus is the story of them maturing and growing up as a nation. Like I said earlier, by the end of this book, they have a history with God. They have an identity as a nation. They have a story and they have a purpose. It's quite profound. And I feel that this year, Jen and I feel that this year, that's what God wants to do with us. You know, He has a hope and a vision. He has a purpose for our community. There's a story that's being written here as we gather together um, on Sundays and during the week. As we do community, God is writing a story and He doesn't want to take us the short route. He wants to take us the long route because He knows that we're not just going to grow bigger, but we're going to grow deeper. And that's what, that's what this Exodus series has been all about. It's about growing in spiritual maturity. Now tonight, I'm actually cheating a little bit. I'm not actually going to read from the book of Exodus tonight. I, I'm so glad someone did that because it's a bit of like a <gasps> kind of moment. We're actually cheating and we're skipping to the end of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible. And it's the end of the sort of what's called the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Um, and we're actually going to look at Moses' death. Now, why are we doing that? Well, first of all, it gives us this really nice, neat sense of completion and closure to the series, uh, which is very handy. Uh, but that's not the main reason that we're looking at this passage. Um, the reason we're looking at this passage is because it talks about something that we don't really like to talk about in church very much. You know, in, uh, as Christians, we often like to talk about you know, new beginnings. We love them. You know, God is the God of new beginnings, like His mercies in you every day. We love that stuff. We like to talk about growth. We love to talk about breakthrough. We love to talk about victory. But something we often struggle to put language around is endings. We don't like to talk about finishing. But part of the reality of this present age that we find ourselves in, if you believe what the Bible says, part of the reality this present age is that everything that has a beginning... And a middle has an end. So why don't we talk about finishing well? I wonder if that you can think of a time recently where you have had an ending or you've had to finish something. Maybe you finished at a job. Maybe you finished high school or you finished a particular year of school. Maybe you finished university. Um, maybe, maybe someone passed away. And there was this sense of, of finishing of a relationship. I wonder if you can bring something to mind and think about, how did I handle that situation? Am I proud of the way that I did that ending? Now, for some of us, the answer, honestly, is going to be yes. Um, but for some of us, I wonder if the answer is not really. I wonder if there's regret. I wonder if there's a disappointment. Or maybe even this sense of, God, that didn't end the way that I thought it was going to end. That didn't go how it was supposed to go. God, you said that that was going to work out like this, and it ended up like this instead. I wonder if you've ever had an ending experience like that. We're going to read about um, Moses' experience of that uh, in just a moment. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you uh, open it up or switch it on, however you like to access the Bible. Um, we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy 34. Um, and I've put this picture up. This will, this will become very obvious what this is in a moment. Um, but just to fill you in while, while you're getting there, 
Um, so we're, we're skipping over a fair chunk of the, the Exodus story. Um, so, uh, so where we are tonight, Israel's been led out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've wandered around the desert for 40 years. They've seen all sorts of incredible, incredible moves of God. They've gone to battle together. They've majorly, majorly stuffed up on a number of counts. Um, but all things said and done, they've ended up at the Jordan River, on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the promised land. Um, and that's where we pick up. Uh, but before we get cracking into the passage, um, I kind of felt like during worship, God, it, you know how we love to invite the Holy Spirit to come at the end of the message? I feel like God wants to do that now. Um, and so this is a bit weird. We don't normally do things this way but that's cool. Um, can we just all stand? And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit because I actually think he wants to bring something quite um, profound for a few of us tonight. So, Well, Lord, we just invite your presence. Lord, as we're about to open up your scripture, Lord, as we're about to dig into to who you are and talk about finishing well, Lord, we need your help. Lord, we want you to speak to our hearts. God, I want my words to fall away tonight and I want only yours to remain. So Holy Spirit, come. Mm. Holy Spirit, come. We wait for you, Lord. Lord, we're not going to move on from this place until we're following you. Lord, we want you to come and speak to us tonight. So Lord, get us ready. Lord, help us to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, well, as you take a seat, I'm going to start reading. Um, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I really like the way that it um, expresses this. It's very similar to the NIV if you have that. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah, extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever. 
The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There, was never an- there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the, all, in the sight of all Israel. So what's just happened? So the Israelite nation has come to the banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the promised land. Now, uh, and then Moses, he knows that it's the end for him, because God's already prophesied this a few chapters earlier. Moses knows that this is the end of the road for him, so he climbs up to a mountain, a mountain called Mount Nebo. And if you go there today, this is the view that you get. You can just imagine on a clear day, it would be absolutely spectacular, and you can see all the way to the sea. So Moses has climbed up the mountain, and God's shown him the promised land. He's saying, generations ago, when I spoke to your your forefathers and your ancestors, I promised them that they would enter this land, and here it is. This is the promise that your people have been waiting for for generations, that you don't get to go in. This is where it ends for you. I'm sending Joshua instead. So Moses dies, and then God himself buries Moses. What an honor, right? What an honor, especially if you're an ancient Israelite, to be buried by the Lord himself. And then we get this reminder about Joshua. Um, The scriptures point us to the next generation that's coming after Moses. And then finally, we get this beautiful reflection on Moses' life and work. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage that's incredibly significant. But, um, and so I wonder what it is that stands out to you. Um, there's, a few, there's a few things that are, are really significant, but to me, um, and also it turns out to a lot of the people who write commentaries on this passage, one of the things that really sticks out and is really challenging about this passage is the injustice of the fact that Moses doesn't actually get to enter the promised land. Now, the reason that Moses isn't able to enter the promised land, to understand that, you have to go back almost a whole book, back into Numbers 20. And what happens there, it's quite a familiar scene. The Israelites are grumbling, as they do, and uh, Moses goes to God, and and the reason they're grumbling is because they have no water. So Moses goes to God, And he says, what am I supposed to do with these people? Now, I kind of get their plight because I get really cranky when I'm dehydrated too. Um, But Moses goes to God and says, what am I supposed to do? And God speaks really clearly. He says, I want you to go to this rock. So this is the second time this has happened. This is not the original water from the rock story. This is the second iteration. I want you to go to this rock. I want you to speak to the rock. And then water will come out and everyone will have enough to drink. So Moses goes back out to carry out this command, but instead of speaking to the rock, he kind of chucks a bit of a hissy fit because the Israelites are all complaining, and he ends up striking it with his staff. Now, water still comes out of the rock, um, and everyone has enough to drink, but the Lord pulls Moses aside and said, that's not what I told you to do. 
And because of what you've just done, you're never going to step foot inside the promised land. And you're kind of like, really, God? Really, for that? And, you know, commentators have spent a lot of time trying to work out why is it that Moses, why was that sin so great that Moses wasn't able to enter the promised land? And you know what? We're not actually going to go there tonight because I think that God wants to draw something so much more significant out of that. It's a great question. Um, But what I want you to pay attention to in this moment um, is how you respond to that scenario. And I think for me, my natural response is I'm like, God, that just doesn't seem fair, honestly. You know, when you think about all that Moses has gone through, all of his faithfulness, um, this epic journey going around the desert for years, you think, surely, God, he deserves at least to go in for a little bit. You know, why was that sin so great that he couldn't? But I want you to pay attention to that little sense of injustice that makes you go, really? I want to ask why we feel that. And where does that come from, that that sense of injustice? And I think there's a number of reasons why we might feel that way. Um, But I think what this feeling in us reveals Um, is it kind of tests our deepest beliefs about who the Lord is. There's a a few things uh, going on there, but you know what? the, The one thing that I think the Lord wants to draw out tonight is that deep, deep inside our hearts, as humans, we have this pathological need to be the center of the story. We have this absolutely pathological need to be at the center of everything and for things to go our way. And I think it offends us to think that we might not see our hopes and dreams come true, at least in the way that we expect them to. Um, There's this awesome quote that I came across as I was preparing this talk. It's from William Stacey Johnson. He says, Trusting in God's promises is not the same thing as clinging to a particular vision of their fulfillment, as though we expected a particular outcome as an entitlement. Boom. Boom. You see, God's call on Moses, go back and read it if you need to, right at the beginning of Exodus at the burning bush, God's call to Moses was not to lead the people into the promised land. His call was to lead the people out of Egypt. And you know what's absolutely remarkable is that the person who doesn't seem too concerned about this whole state of affairs is Moses himself. Now, to be fair, Go back to Deuteronomy 3, and Moses does actually have a bit of a complaint to God about this whole not getting to go into the promised land, as you would, as I would. You know, I think by the time Moses gets to the end of his life, I think he's, he's, he's realized, he's got the humility to realize that in order for the next generation of leadership of his nation to rise up, he needs to step aside. He's got the humility to realize that. And he's got so much humility that he's able to say, you know what, God, honestly, this sucks. It really does. But if this is the way that you want to do things, then this is the way that I want to do things. And I'm going to submit to your version of the best version of my life. You know, I think Moses, in this moment, has chosen to finish well. 
And I think the way that we finish, the way we do endings, it reveals two really important things about the deepest parts of our hearts. The first thing is it reveals whose kingdom you've really been building. Is it my kingdom or is it God's kingdom? Because if I'm following faithfully after the Lord and I get to the end and God says, yep, we're going to put all that aside now or I'm going to take you out of the way, you're done now. If I'm upset, then I've really been building my kingdom. Whereas if I'm building God's kingdom, I'm ready. Bring it on. And the second thing I think that the way we finish reveals is it reveals a lot about our spiritual maturity. Because it, re- it reveals the reality of our surrender. You know, God calls us to surrender every single part of our lives to Him. And when it comes to the end of things, when it comes to the way we finish, it shows us whether we've really surrendered everything or whether there's stuff that we're still holding on to. Now, I'm really aware that up to this point, I've, this, this whole discussion about finishing well is somewhat philosophical. Um, and so I want to make this very, very real for us by giving you three examples. Uh, the first example, uh, and I've got a slide for this one, um, many of us might be aware of a movement called Soul, Soul Survivor. It's this like inter-church gathering where um, people get together, um, they camp, you, you spend a week hanging out together. A whole lot of the youth leaders and youth guys are going off to Soul Survivor um, next week. Next week? Yeah, yeah which, is, which is just super exciting. Um, and so I should clarify that what I'm about to read is about Soul Survivor in the UK, not about Soul Survivor in New South Wales. I've been absolutely assured by Matt Gelding that uh, Soul Survivor in New South Wales is not going anywhere. Um, but recently, um, recently Mike uh, Pilavachi put out a statement. So Mike Pilavachi is the founder of Soul Survivor globally, and also he runs it in the UK. Um, this massive youth conference that gathers tens of thousands of people every year. He put out this press release, and I'm going to read just a part of that for you now. He says, Dear friends, we have some important news to share with you. Our 2019 Soul Survivor Summer Events will be our last. We know this will come as a shock to many, but we believe that God has spoken and that this is the right time for us to step aside and make space for others to rise up. This is not a decision we've taken lightly, but something we've been wrestling with for a substantial amount of time. Our leadership team and board of trustees came to this decision unanimously and believe that after 27 years of events, 2019 is the right time for Soul Survivor to end. Right from the start of Soul Survivor, we always said that when God told us to stop, we would. We believe that the time has come and we want to be obedient. We've always been humbled by the amount of support you've shown us, and so we know some of you may feel sad about this decision, but we know that God said, I will build my church. He never said, I will build my soul survivor. Our passion has always been to support the local church where faith is lived out as family, week in, week out, not to create our own movement. There is, in plain, uh, there is pain in letting go, But we hold on to God's word that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. John 12, 24. 
Our time to serve through Soul Survivor is drawing to a close, but we are confident that God will raise up new ministries for young people. We look forward to seeing all the ways that he will continue to work in you and through you as we step aside. With much love, Mike. It just defies all human logic, doesn't it? You know, if, if, according to human logic, if I've built a movement that attracts tens of thousands of people, I employ 24 people to run these events every year, um, human logic would say, I need to build this sucker. I need to build it as big as I can. I need to aggressively build it in other, um, in other, in other nations. I need to, um, you know, eventually maybe start planting more soul survivor churches that all come out of this movement. But that's not what they chose to do. I love um, how he says, right from the start of Soul Survivor, we always said that God, when God told us to stop, we would. What a heart of surrender. You know, I think that re- reveals that in his heart of hearts, what Mike was trying to build was not Soul Survivor. It wasn't the kingdom of Mike Pilavachi. It was the kingdom of God. Um, and all credit and testament to them. Um, the second example I want to give, I may potentially get emotional in this, we'll see, um, but is, is a very, very different context. Um, in the 50s and 60s, one of the most important and significant leaders in the US civil rights movement was a man named Martin Luther King Jr. Um, he was an absolutely incredible man. There, we, there he is. Um, he was an absolutely incredible leader. He was an incredible man of God. And one of his, uh, the things that he's most famous for is his ability to give the most beautiful speeches. Many of you might be aware of the um, I Have a Dream speech. But I want to read you a short passage from another speech that he gave, which is um, maybe not as famous, but perhaps even more significant. And he actually references this passage in Deuteronomy directly, which is really interesting. He says, I don't know what will happen now. He's, he's at the end of this speech. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anyone, I would like to live a long life, and longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up the mountain And I've looked over. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And you know, the reason that this speech is so incredibly profound is the fact that the next day he was shot and killed. Now, I don't have the words, I don't have the ability to unpack this and communicate to you what needs to be communicated. But I don't think I need to because it's all there in what he's already said. He says, I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. What a heart of surrender. What an incredible, incredible heart of surrender. And my final example of finishing well, is Jesus himself um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, we got there. Um, 
he's, he's done his life's work. He's done his ministry. It's the night before Jesus is going to be handed over to the authorities, beaten, tortured, and crucified for our sins. And it's Jesus' last opportunity to be one-on-one with Father God. And his prayer is possibly one of the most profound things ever said in human history. He says something to the effect of, God, if there is any other possible way that we can do this, then can we do that instead? This is Jesus himself asking that. You know, sometimes I, I think we, we, we get into this place of thinking that, um, that it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross, that since he was God, somehow it, it, you know, it was easy for him to do that. But this reveals that that's completely false. You know, Jesus gave it all. Jesus said, if there is any other way, God, then take this cup from me. But then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. What a heart of surrender. So how do we achieve this kind of surrender? How do we give ourselves so wholeheartedly to God that we would be willing to finish well regardless of the circumstance? How do we actually do that? Well, the first thing that I would remind us is that as much as he was fully God, Jesus was also fully human. He gets it. He knows what it's like, and if he can do it, then he can help us to find that place of surrender. And so the step one, ask for help, because goodness knows we all need it. And secondly, I think what Moses reveals to us in this passage is that it takes a change of heart. It takes a change of priorities, which in Christianese we say is repentance. It requires repentance. You know, repentance, it's not a prayer that you say. Repentance is the moment that you walk up to the whiteboard that has your list of your life's priorities, numbered one to ten. You take whatever's on the top, you rub it out, and you put Jesus. That's what repentance really means. It's a heart change. It's an attitude change. It's a mind change. And it's an actual lived out priority change where you put Jesus at the top. That's what repentance is. Means, And that's what we need to do if we want to find this level of surrender. That's what we need to do if we want to be a people who would really finish well. So I want to finish on this thought, um, which comes from verse 5. So it's the last title or or sort of um, name that Moses is given uh, in the Scriptures, well, at least in the Pentateuch. Um, And it says, So Moses... The servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab. You know, I reckon there's a lot of names that they could have given to Moses. There are a lot of um, designations that they could have given to this man. They could have said Moses, the prince of Egypt. They could have said Moses, the guy who parted the Red Sea. They could have said Moses, faithful leader of the Israelites. They could have said Moses, who knew God face to face. There are so many Things that they names that they could have given to this man, and yet the one that God chose to give him was Moses, servant of the Lord. More than anything else, more than any of the things that Moses achieved in the book of Exodus and beyond, more than anything else, the thing that Moses was known for was that he was a servant of the Lord. He is someone who had taken his list of priorities, he'd moved them all down a spot. And he'd put God at the top. 
Would we be a, a community of people who would be known as being servants of the Lord? Would that be the cry of our hearts to serve the Lord? Would that be the source of our identity to serve the Lord? And would that be our unified purpose to serve the Lord? So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you know what it's like. Lord, that when you came down to earth, when you became human, that you experienced all of it. And still you chose surrender, Lord. Lord, of everyone who has ever lived in history, Lord, you are the only one that deserved to have things end well for you. You're the only one that deserves to have your actions rewarded. And still you chose to go to the cross, Lord. Lord, this Palm Sunday, Lord, we choose to honor you. We choose to remember the lengths you went to to bring us home. And Lord, we want to be a people fully surrendered to you. Lord, we want to give it all, not just in our words, not just in our actions, Lord, but in our heart of hearts. We want to be a people who've surrendered all. And so we ask for your help. And Lord, we repent. Lord, we say sorry for the times that we put ourselves first. Lord, the times that we've craved to be the, the center of attention. Lord, the times that we've taken We've taken your promises and we've made them about something else. And Lord, we want to be a people who finish well. Lord, help us to finish well.